Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Positively Trek and welcome to 2023, everyone. I'm Dan Gunther. With me, as always, is Barry DeFord, my consummate, professional, amazing, awesome co-host. Barry, how's it going today? It's going well. As the day that we record this, school has officially started again. And uh, I was just telling Dan how everything happened today. Um, it was interesting. <laughs> We've, uh, we made it through, though, folks, and, and all is well. I'm excited to be uh, back in the saddle again, even though I did spend most of my holiday ill, and I hear you did too, Dan. Yeah, I'm I'm still, I have this lingering cold or flu or whatever the heck it is uh, hanging around. It's not COVID. That's the one thing I do know. I've, I've been testing and it's not, but it's uh, it definitely has uh, put me down and is hanging around, which is not fun, but uh, made for not great holidays, but... You know, I didn't have much holidays anyway. I'm working retail at the moment. So, you know, I gave myself some holidays by calling in whenever I needed to. Well, that's fair enough. And that's good you did. I'm, I'm glad you were able to take some time. That's that's super important. Uh, while I was sick, I was able to uh, live up to my standards and watch Star Trek Prodigy. So mm. uh, I'm, I'm excited that we're going to be able to uh, make that conversation today. Definitely. And yeah, that, that leads us into uh, what our, our topic is today, which is, of course, Star Trek Prodigy Season 1. Uh, just wrapped up just as the year 2022 wrapped up. And yeah, we're going to talk about that. We have some uh, interesting, I think, kind of unique perspectives on it. I watched it as it came out. Barry, you, of course, watched it kind of more compressed, uh, more kind of all at once. So I think that'll make for an interesting uh, perspective on on how season one was to you. 
I'm 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 thinking uh yes from the the fever dream uh of of being sick and watching uh TV shows. <laughs> I remember this is a, a a bit of a a bit of a digression, but I remember one time I had such a bad fever. I was in high school and uh Drop It Like It's Hot was debuting that song with Pharrell and Snoop Dogg. Mm. And I remember I had a horrifyingly bad fever and uh, i might have been in university i can't remember which which part of life i was in even uh, but it was when that that song dropped and i remember i my fever was so bad i could see the music the walls were like vibrating and like yeah and so so i think about watching star trek prodigy i definitely did have a fever in certain points but um i i feel like i still was of sound mind wow yeah that's funny that just reminded me of something and this past summer my wife and I both had COVID, uh, thankfully still the only time I've had COVID so far, but I have such a a vivid, I flash right back to lying on the couch feeling sick whenever I hear the theme music to what we do in the shadows. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Because Nikki and I binged like the first three seasons on the couch sick with COVID And season four recently dropped on uh, whatever streaming service it's on. And whenever that theme music comes on, not in a bad way, just in a nice kind of comforting blanket wrapped around me way. I'm like, I remember lying on the couch, feeling sick and kind of the one good thing, the one nice thing to come out of that was watching this hilarious show uh, about vampires and and it's, it's such a great show if any pins if you've not watched it you need to see it <laughs> it's very cute i i quite enjoyed it excellent well anyway we're not here to talk about what we do in the shadows i'm sure there's a lovely podcast about that show out there somewhere uh yeah we're talking trek and before we get to our prodigy discussion we do have some news to talk about this week and some kind of fun news bits to talk about now that prodigy is done we're in a little bit of a break now we've got no new show coming until February Mm -hmm. and that show is going to be the third and final season of Star Trek Picard and today as we're recording this there's been some new key art this new poster has dropped for Picard season three and uh, I've got to say first of all I'm getting real like 90s collectible plate vibes from this poster which makes me very happy because i (laughs) i didn't own very many of them i think i got one as a gift once but they're just such a unique thing in star trek fandom that i'm immediately flashing back to that and i kind of want this as a collector's plate (laughs) i hadn't even thought about the collectible plate idea i kind of got the um that sort of um, modern classic imaging that they did for like Star Wars Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. Um, there's sort of like the bigger heads, smaller heads, and then some ship zipping off. And yeah, no, I, I find that uh, I find the the artistry is quite nice. Brings me to uh, one of my favorite Star Trek artists actually is uh, Laz Marquez. Uh, you mm-hmm. can follow Laz on Twitter. Um, I get a bit of vibes. It doesn't quite seem like Laz's style specifically. Usually, there's a bit more edge to Laz's work but at the same time I know um you know Laz is quite capable of of bending genre and stuff like that too so shout out but if it isn't uh, if it isn't Laz Marquez whoever did it we like it yeah very cool I I do love like it's got all of the old TNG cast as well as Jerry Ryan and Michelle Hurd reprising their characters which another whole separate discussion I'm, I'm sad that they're the only ones 
coming back from the quote-unquote new cast and yeah but anyway yeah and and the titan a being pursued by the shrike i think it's been called this warship uh i'm, I'm digging it. it looks pretty cool yeah looking forward to it i'm uh i i've really liked the the whole picard series i think it's been it's been well well put together bit of a shaky first season in some cases but overall uh enjoyed it absolutely well picard season three will debut on february 16th on Paramount Plus in the U.S., and here in Canada on CTV Sci-Fi and Crave, mm-hmm. uh, and then outside of North America on Amazon Prime in uh, many locations. We'll, of course, be covering the show on the podcast and talking all about it, and I'm sure squeeing with fanish glee over the reappearance of our TNG heroes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this next story I just wanted to include because I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, this is something that for a- about a day I was on Facebook and I kept seeing, like, I follow a lot of Star Trek groups and stuff. And I kept seeing this story pop up about Nicolas Cage, not wanting to be in Star Wars. And then of course, because it's Facebook and on my phone, it cuts off the rest of the headline. And I'm like, why is everybody posting about Nicolas Cage in Star Wars? Who cares? What the heck is this about? And then finally I clicked it. And the reason he does not want to be in Star Wars is because he is a Trekkie and is, quote, part of the Star Trek family, not the Star Wars family. So I like both. I'm a Star Wars and Star Trek fan. I'm not exclusive, but I'm a bigger Star Trek fan. So part of me, just a very small part, kind of likes to go like, ha ha, that's awesome. (laughs) Um, For those of you who have seen Gone in 60 Seconds, the movie where he's like a robber, bank robber, but also like a professional driver, and he drives a beautiful 1968 Shelby GT500, or 67 Mm. GT500, I I forget. Um, But um, anyways, he he does this kind of motion where he brings the palms of his hands kind of just to the sides of his head, and he starts slowly shaking them a little bit faster and a little bit faster and a little faster, and then he's like, okay, and then like brings his hands down is totally like composed i would say that nicholas cage is the captain of any federation starship that's how he'd get them to go to warp he'd bring <laughs> <hands in. laughs> and uh whatever the name of the vehicle i mean i have google right in front of me i could say this right now but the the name of the car is also really important i'm sure that would be the name of his starship um mm. other than that i don't know nick cage is fine he's as an actor i don't really um <laughs> kind of hit and miss uh leaving yeah. las vegas was interesting um but um, I remember a long time ago, there were shots of him as potentially Superman. And I remember it got a mm. lot of um, ire and, and growls and snarls. And although myself, if I was offered a, a place in either the Star Wars or Star Trek universe, I would definitely say yes to either. Um, mm. I feel like, you know what, Nick, warm welcome. We'll see you at the next con. Yeah, here, here. I mean... Whether that's because he's now been offered a role in Star Trek because of what he said, or just as a fan attending the con with the rest of us, that would be great. <laughs> either way, either way, why not? Just just bring him in, why not? <laughs> uh, so that, that crossed my radar, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, sorry to all the Star Wars fans out there, and like you, Barry, if I was offered a role in either of those universes, I would immediately jump on it, so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Rosario Dawson's a huge Trekkie, right? And she's yeah. Ahsoka, so. There you yeah. go. Well, speaking of people who may want to be in Star Trek either for the first time or possibly again, there were some interesting remarks from Sophia Butella, 
who played Jayla in the latest Star Trek movie, which is sad to say because it was so many years ago now, Star Trek Beyond. Basically, in this interview, she was saying that she would love to return for Star Trek IV, or the current iteration of Star Trek IV, and hopes to see Jayla evolve. This is a character that I really enjoyed in Star Trek in Star Trek Beyond. I thought she was a wonderful addition. Really, really fun to see her on the big screen. Very physical, very cool vocal performance as well as that character. And with the sad loss, of course, of Anton Yelchin as Chekhov, I think the space is there to add a new cast member to kind of take up a role similar to that. And why not Jayla? You know, why not another amazing, awesome, strong female character? I think that would be wonderful. Yeah, I I guess like in the news of the arrested development that is the <laughs> Star Trek movie franchise, Yeah, um, I just think that this is a really nice comment that she made about something that's probably not going to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. And I hate to be so like, I don't know, I don't want to sound cynical. Maybe I'm sounding pessimistic. And that's okay, I guess. I, I personally really enjoyed her character. I do see room for her sort of, I think they were kind of gearing her more to work with Scotty in the future. But <clears throat> in that respect, giving her the position of Chekhov would make a lot of sense, especially, you know, considering I would find replacing Anton Yelchin's playing of Chekhov wouldn't necessarily jive very well. I would much rather see a character take that on. And and you're right. Um, I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. I I, I sadly have to agree with you on that, especially uh, with when she was asked what she knows about a follow-up to beyond, uh, she says, I don't know if they're making a fourth one. I hear things all the time, but I don't know what's happening. Uh, very likely that there's no, whatever is happening, which is still a huge question mark. It sounds like she hasn't been approached. Her people haven't been talked to or anything. Uh, which puts her in about the same place as the rest of the cast from other things I've heard. So I don't know. (laughs) I feel like that could be a fridge magnet quote. Um, I hear things all the time, but I don't know what's happening. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That is so applicable. to. I could put that on a coffee mug. (laughs) Yes. I hear things all the time, but I don't know what's happening. Oh, Oh, a hundred percent. We are absolutely with you, Sophia. Um, we don't know what's happening either. <laughs> oh, I'm also kind of reminded of the the situation with Alice Eve after Star Trek Into Darkness. A lot of people hoping to see her return as Carol Marcus in yeah. future films. And she was just never approached, never talked. I, I remember reading something about there was one script that had her returning and then... I think it was Guardians of the Galaxy came out and they said, okay, let's scrap this movie idea and make something more akin to that or something. Huh? Yeah. I don't know how true any of that is, but yeah, lots of dangling threads, missed opportunities in the Kelvin timeline that would uh, be great to return to. And I think Jayla is a big one. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of dry tinder that, that just never got used. Yeah. Well, that's it for uh, the week's news. Let's pop over to the main discussion now after a brief break and talk Star Trek Prodigy. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This episode of Positively Trek would not be possible without the support of those of you who have gone to patreon.com slash positivelytrek and signed up to become a Patreon supporter of the show. Thank you all so very much for your donations. They truly do help bring this show to you each week. Thank you especially to our Constitution class supporters, Joyce Marin, Jim Stoffel, Jesse Earle, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, and Paul D. Kinnear. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can get perks such as early access to episodes, ad-free versions of episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, and much more. Once again, that's patreon.com slash positivelytrek. Thank you all once again. And now, let's get back to the show. So five Star Trek series currently on the air, and I say on the air in quotes, streaming, however, whatever, however they get out. I guess on CTV Sci-Fi in Canada, we can say on the air. So that gives us a little asterisk. But Star Trek Prodigy is, and I understand as a an English teacher, someone who has worked as an English teacher, saying the phrase most unique is probably a faux pas it's yeah it's unique or not but prodigy is and if i may employ the faux pas a very unique star trek series and i I think one of the most singularly different from the typical form of star trek series that we've gotten uh it's animated it's cgi animation it's geared towards a younger audience and like I can I could list tons of reasons why it's so different from the typical Star Trek series. There's no human main character with again maybe an asterisk on that we'll talk about in a bit. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. Absolutely. <laughs> it's from the perspective of people not connected with the Federation, not connected to Starfleet. They're learning about Starfleet and the Federation and the Star Trek universe along with the viewers. Uh, it's it's really cool. It I would have loved to have sat in on some of the planning sessions for this series and just see that that genesis and how this came about because I, I'm so fascinated with the construction of this series. And yeah, in, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about season one and our impressions. 
uh, how we felt about it. So Barry, as we mentioned earlier, you kind of watched this uh, I'm going to continue in a more unique way than most of us. You just, you're killing me, Dan. You're killing me. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, yeah, I, I saw it. I saw it quickly. Um, I watched it, you know, episode after episode, I think from Terra Firma to either, I think Let Sleeping Borg Lie. I watched that in like a day and a half. Wow. Like I blew through that and, and the pause, right? Like when, when we come to that sort of natural end, right at the end of, um, a moral star. Yeah. So I, I watched a good, probably four to six hours of it in one big chunk. And I think that did a lot to me sort of, I didn't, I never felt fatigued by it. Um, I think there's a lot of endearing elements to the characters. I think there's a lot of things that they tread over as well. You know, you said that, um, it's, it's a vaster sort of look at star star Trek because they literally like take you on a tour, right? They, they start in the Delta quadrant, they go to the gamma quadrant, like they, they're, they're going all over the place. Um, and, and obviously the, um, the crazy, amazing kind of nifty technology of like how we get faster is actually by adding a nacelle and then having to like augment the other two to make the whole system work. I really liked their conversation on that. It kind of reminds me of Voyager, how they kind of talked about transwarp drive. Um, the science was really interesting, I found. Um, it was just kind of a neat look at things. There were some sort of half believable things as well with regard to the science that maybe we can get into, but um, it was fun. It was interesting. Though I didn't get to watch it with um, the kiddos that I was hoping to, there's still time and we will still eventually watch it, I'm pretty sure. So, uh, and, and I think it would be interesting to see what their impressions are because, you know, they would have met characters that I know and love, uh, that we know and love, right? And would have mm -hmm. met them for the first time kind of out of context. So I guess I'm kind of wandering around a little bit on, on my thoughts, but um, I would give it a really high high grade in terms of a first season coming out of the out of the gate um shout out to jesse earl for better explaining that but um yeah i, I really enjoyed it it was a very fun series i i love that you watched it so compressed because in a lot of ways this this season felt kind of like two seasons and it wasn't even just the one big hiatus after a moral star there were the basically the first four episodes and then it broke for a few weeks for the first half of Discovery Season 4 and then came back for five more episodes to close out what felt like Season 1 but was really just the first half of Season 1. A lot um, happens. Yeah. Like, so much happens. Like I'm just going through like, the, like I opened up Wikipedia so I could know um, what episodes kind of go where because like I did watch it in a big chunk and I'm like... Oh, yeah. And then, you know, and they don't even touch like doll situation until part two, right? Like it's mm -hmm. insane that like so much happens. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the things too that I want to talk about as kind of a major talking point with regards to this series is like a lot of us who were born, like you and I were both born in the 80s. We're used to these kids shows growing up where the premise is the premise is the premise. Mm -hmm. Like we were told when this show came out, it's about a group of kids who find a starship and learn about Starfleet and, and try and make their way to the Federation. If this were a show made in the nineties, 
you know, that's what every episode would be. They would be trying to get to the Federation. The Diviner would be hot on their heels. And at the end of every episode, it would be next time, Gadget. Next, or, you know, what this, this version of that. And I've said this many times in the live show that I do with Brandy talking about it, that this series constantly splashes cold water in my face and reminds me that TV doesn't just have to be that anymore. No. At the end of every episode, the premise changes not every episode but certainly towards the end of the season the things that happen like you don't expect they're going to actually meet the real Janeway and you don't expect she's going to get to know these kids and then be on their side and like that all happens so fast and it's amazing and and they get into some high concept stuff like I'm I'm jumping through through my notes here now but like I kind of talked about the the proto warp idea which and how that's really really cool um, I want to get back to my first impressions of some of the characters but we, we're just mm-hmm. on this so I need to keep going like time amok they were able to make the concept of time moving at different states accessible to young people that's really mm. impressive. <laughs> and that's yeah. a high concept idea. And then, you, you know, when, when there's like the reveal that um, uh, Gwen's uh, father is is actually from the future and, and all this, and it's kind of like a Terminator, like I'm coming back to save my people kind of thing. And you're like, you know, for, to, to get to, to get to go into those kind of higher concept ideas, you're right, it does. The, from the start of like, look at how people um, can be brought together through like the technology of Star Trek, right? Like the universal translator and all that fun stuff to I'm from the future and now there's a potential that you're going to have to meet me later, (laughs) but younger before the Civil War and all that sort of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I find that that fascinating in the sense that they made that pretty accessible because i know of a lot of young people who are enjoying this and you're right we would have had a much more episodic routine round in a circle you know again yeah that kind of constant chase and that would be that right and that would be the show we'd get and then we get a bunch of cool toys and that would be that and the fact that they managed to do these high concept ideas in in 20 to 30 minutes as well. Like time amok is such a beautiful episode. I love that you brought that episode up. Uh, And the feelings that it rips out of me (laughs) over the course of that 25 minutes or however long the episode is, is amazing. And also finding the time, like you said, to explain the anomaly and how it works. And then by the end, you know that Rock Talk has spent who knows how long there learning all of this stuff and figuring it out. And you're just like, ah, you fall in love with that character again. Yeah, I I do have to say Rock Talk is 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 pretty pretty special um and that really kind of just just on that the the vibes i got that from that was obviously if, if everyone again spoilers uh if you've seen um uh what's that shoot um interstellar mm-hmm. and and you know when they go down to that planet that's super close to the black hole it's like 25 to 30 minutes take you know elapse and when they get back up the guy that they left behind waiting has been there for 30 years yeah Right. I just find that really fascinating. And, 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 you know, you can see how they're they're kind of pulling on those kind of quantum um, ideas and stuff like that and getting kids to sort of see time as a bit more of a construct and that it's actually your brain is actually just perceiving block time in a sequence because that's how we perceive reality. But that's 100 percent not how reality works. Right. We are in a quantum space time chunk, which is a weird thing to think about. I, I think. 
partially because we grew up watching Star Trek and became such huge fans. Like we can kind of wrap our minds around a lot of those concepts. And I love that this show is providing that to a new generation, you know, absolutely. Maybe, maybe a little cliched at this point, but the next generation of Star Trek fan, right? <laughs> <laughs> Very unique next generation. <laughs> What did you think about Zero's, the concept of Zero's true form? And and I'm kind of just diving straight into that because I do think that this is where another piece that Star Trek is trying to reach out to people who are looking into what their true inborn nature is. Mm-hmm. and who they are and what what truly makes them who they are. And And again, it's been said better by others, but... Um, how do you know you and I both? I think we, we would probably code at least as cis, cishet, you know, males kind of thing. How do you feel about that kind of exploration? Maybe something that might not necessarily uh, connect to you specifically or individually. Um, how do you feel about that? Well, I, I really, first of all, just love the character of Zero. And, and I love that the character, I, I think, because they're a, a they them. You know, mm-hmm. they have no gender or mm-hmm. they have no binary gender. I, th- I thought that was really interesting. I kind of, I wish I had a character like that as a kid. Not necessarily, again, like that's not my lived experience, mm-hmm. but exposure to that idea that just, just an example of someone that I could point to to be able to use those pronouns more easily and get used to that. You know, I I think that's a a wonderful tool and a a great uh, learning experience for a lot of people. Uh, I also love that the character was kind of a a rehabilitation of the Medusans. Like when Mm. you watch that original episode, the way that it's framed is literally, they are so ugly that to look upon them drives you insane. And that's, I mean, that's not the case. Like it's, it's because their, their unable, uh, humanoid mind is unable to kind of comprehend what it's looking at. It's, it has nothing to do with aesthetics. And it's, it's so weird that it's framed that way in that episode. And this one, whenever we do see Zero, you can't argue that that they're anything other than, you know, a beautiful pattern of shimmering lights that looks incredible, right? Like nobody on the show ever said they're ugly. That's why they drive people insane to see their true form. It's it's something else. And I like that that was kind of rehabilitated a bit. Yeah. And, and I guess kind of bringing that, that in and, and there are a lot of teaching tools that exist in this, you know, we haven't even scratched the surface of the characters and, and how they can act sort of as teaching tools and ways to, you know, reference oneself. And you're right, if I was younger and had better exposure, um, I wouldn't have had to unlearn a lot of things um, later in life. And I, and I do like that, that it does provide an opportunity for very realistic conversations with young people about how gender acts as a construct, just as we can mm-hmm. talk about how time acts as a construct and um, give kids a bit of a better material basis to sort of see themselves reflected in the different characters in this. You said a lot uh, really well about uh, about Zero and I don't really have much more to say other than typically 
it is conception that makes us blind, right? We will always have different kinds of blind spots, right? You have different like think tanks going in of like, um, who are looking into uh, human nature, and then they find ways to like, be like, well, the reason why there's homeless people is because some people are just lazy and all this sort of stuff. And if you come in with that viewpoint, you're going to be blind to so many other specific realizations about about us as beings ourselves, and that Mm -hmm. we are kind of, we aren't these static, unchanging things, we're moving targets, we're and now you talk about the concept of the Medusans does change, and it forces us to bend our understanding of what they were originally brought to us as, as a sort of perspective. And once we have that perspective bent, we can finally see what it is we're truly to see, rather than what we're supposed to fear. And yeah, I just really loved that about Zero, and um, it's a very very well thought out character. Yeah, and I mean, huge shout out to Angus Imri and his voice performance of that yeah. character as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, there's so many great moments. Like very early on, I remember when Dal is kind of recklessly taking the protostar off somewhere and they end up, you know, about to crash into a, a dying star yeah. or something. that's going to go supernova. And Zero says, oh, a dying star. What a wondrous way to meet our doom. <laughs> just, yeah. It's so good. Such a good line reading. He, Optimistic oh. C-3PO is what I thought there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. All of the characters. Um, I, I kind of want to dig into each each one of them uh, if we can. And Zero, <laughs> just one more little shout out. I loved... Uh, their holodeck program where where they're uh, solving mysteries. It was a mystery solving club. Yeah. I thought that was so much fun. I was like, this is totally what I would use the holodeck for. This would be so much fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I know they weren't the um, the first one on the list or anything like that, but I was going to say, let's, let's go through them. Let's go through and, and talk about some of the characters, the things we liked about them, um, what kind of drew our attention, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll start with the the quote-unquote captain, I guess. Uh, Dal R.L. Brett Gray, I think, uh, does an amazing job over the course of the season. Definitely a character that, from its conception, you're not necessarily rooting for from the beginning. I think uh, he does a good job of kind of being a character that you're, you're kind of rolling your eyes at and kind of want to strangle sometimes a little bit. But in that is given kind of the the coolest arc over the course of the season, not just learning lessons and kind of maturing as a character, but also learning where he came from and what that means and what to do with that information once he mm-hmm. has it as well. So a really strong arc for this character. And it's, it's hard exactly, part of the brilliance is it's hard to pinpoint exactly the moment that I start rooting for the guy. (laughs) It's just like, by the end, I care about him a lot and I want him to succeed. And I realize that I have for quite a while and I can't quite exactly pinpoint where it was. Maybe you'd be able to better because it was more compressed. But (laughs) for me, just with having spread out so far, I'm kind of like, when did I, when did I like this guy? (laughs) When did you start rooting for Quark? Exactly. It's how I would respond it. And I mean, you know, raised by a Ferengi, there's, there's an unlikability to to doll that I think makes doll an interesting character. There, you you can't you can't you can't accuse this one of being a, what did they call um, what did they call Michael Burnham originally? 
a Pippi Lou or whatever, a Mary Sue or oh, something. Oh, Mary Sue character, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing Mary Sue about Doll at all, right? Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's, a, it's a flawed character who who you don't necessarily have to, you know, like all of the decisions of. And, and you, I don't like the outcomes, right? Like, sorry, you can't be in Starfleet, you're an augment, that's it, right? And it's like, come on, <laughs> has he not proven himself, <laughs> Yeah. Right. And and you kind of get this measure of a man feel to this of like, are you kidding? That's where this ends. And and I mean, probably it won't. Right. That would be a, a prediction. But at the same time, like you, you really do. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a there's a lack of fulfillment to some degree to to Dahl's character that I think was very intentional. Yeah. There, there's so much about him, too, that I just like you kind of over the course of the season kind of latch on to like awkward moments where maybe a lot of us would be loath to admit it, but we probably said some very similar things that he has said that were, you know, the awkward adolescent thing. I think the the very awkward kiss between him and Gwyn towards the end of the season, like we've all had those kind of weird moments where it's like, what, 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 what do you do? Oh, no, I thought, oh God. You know, like I, I just love the exploration of, you know, the awkwardness and the, none of us are going to find out that we were augmented spliced DNA of 30 different species but we're all going to find out things about us that make us feel othered from everyone around us and make us feel awkward and weird and out of place. And I, I love the lessons that come out of that. Well, and it also proves that you can be something curated, and but, but what makes us mortal, what makes us human or, or whatever species, you know, we would necessarily say here is that fallibility, is that... Um, that awkwardness, right? The the idea that in order to learn, you need to fail, you need to do it wrong. Sometimes you need to learn the hard way. And, and that's the way it goes. And I think, again, as lessons go, as sort of the morality play of this show, that's really it, is nothing is always going to go your way. So how are you going to rise to the occasion is the big question, I would say. Yeah. And, and Dal's line in one of the final episodes too, where he says, you know, maybe I can't get into Starfleet, but Mm. I can make sure all of you will. Right. And then I I think the final thing I want to say about Dal. What a Starfleet thing to say. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And then the final thing I want to say about Dal is I loved Janeway's argument in front of the tribunal. Mm -hmm. Uh, But basically saying that like the Federation is made up of 150 member species. Mm -hmm. Dal's DNA contains 27 of them. What better expression of our alliance than Dal? And I I love that. And maybe that argument played a role in him becoming a a midshipman in training or whatever. But I, I love that. I thought that was so good. So what would you do, Dan, if... You were taken hostage by a bunch of misfits. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a that's a great question. It's very very open question. There's a lot of I think context based mm-hmm. <laughs> things to go with that. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, Gwyndala, of course, Gwyn taken hostage by the the these kids these misfits mm-hmm. another really interesting character arc i i honestly don't know what i would do in her situation i'm sure i would not come out looking as good as she does by no. the end of it all this is a character that that david mack has said is one of his favorite star trek characters of all time and by the time the season's done you kind of 
understand why, I think. Yeah, a really fascinating character uh, played by Ella Purnell. I think mm. she does an incredible job with that voice. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. What would you do in that situation? I honestly don't think I could make it turn out as good as it did. Well, I think ultimately <laughs> if... If I had to try to get everything everything back back to my dad, um, I maybe I maybe I'd be a little more ruthless, I guess. But I think in Gwen you find the empathy, you find the the, the again that kind of Starfleet the, the the inquisitiveness of like instead of like you know obviously I've been taken hostage and all this sort of stuff. But she's able to find the humanity, I guess for lack of a better term, you're right, there are no actual human characters in this, but you manage to find the empathy with the people who you ultimately have to start solving problems with, right? Like she's the one who who ultimately activates the the proto-warp function, right? Which then jets them 4,000 light years or whatever um, into the gamma quadrant, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's Gwen also who ultimately gets um, she ends up she ends up getting found by by them later when they're on. Um, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting all the names of the. This is why I should have taken notes. Um, that M class planet that they land on and it starts trying to kill everybody. Oh, um, I think they just end up calling it like the the Death Planet or something. Yeah, they don't <laughs> actually remember. name it. Okay, well that makes me feel a little bit better. I think it's ultimately where Gwen starts realizing that she's a part of something bigger you know when she and doll start having to you know work together a lot more often uh, a lot more you know more than more than just doing the bidding uh like if you think about like the the character of of dreadnought and stuff like that and and his wayune likeness of being replicated and all that stuff mm-hmm. she's not a thug she's not she's something a little bit more than than what necessarily she's initially used for and i think you get to see sort of she's able to become more of herself over over a longer period of time i guess i liked the idea of she finding out that her dad is you know from the future and all this sort of stuff and that now she's in this kind of extremely confusing position where she now has to go back and start a civil stop a civil war that hasn't necessarily started yet Mm -hmm. i think that's a neat kind of idea i i guess as a character i think she's interesting i think more it's around the potential for her story that we can see more out of her coming up if that makes more sense no it does it's another one that uh I, I think, like you said, with regards to the Kelvin timeline, there's a lot of dry tinder there that I'm really mm-hmm. excited to see uh, get used. And I think there's so much potential for what's to come in season two and beyond with this character. I'm really fascinated to see that side of the story. But yeah, her her arc here where she, you know, is initially brought against her will and eventually realizes that she's been working with the bad guy yeah yeah black and white terms i guess but also her role as a translator so she knows all these different languages and like she says she was used to keep people apart and now she can bring people together and i love that she gets kind of the nickname from Dal at the end where her father was the diviner essencia was the vindicator and Dal looks at Gwyn and says the unifier mm-hmm. i love that that's so great and yeah i hope that that's like her official von Akat name however they get those but yeah uh so yeah let's move on to rock talk who i think in a lot of fans eyes is is a fan favorite 
Um, she's kind of the character that like, you know, if there were protests and there were signs, it would be like, uh, if anything happens to rock talk, we riot kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I love her. She is so, she's so innocent and sweet with this large, imposing, gruff exterior, which belies the true nature of her character, right? She's one of those characters where when you look at her, you see one thing and you make assumptions and, Mm -hmm that first episode where we don't have those translation abilities and she's speaking in her native Brickar, you think big, huge monster. And then <laughs> this girl's voice comes out the and Universal you realize, translator kicks in. <laughs> yeah. And you realize that this person that you've been assuming is one thing is not solely her appearance. There's so much more to her. And there's that initial lesson because of that, but we still have to learn that even more over the course of the next few episodes where everyone assumes that like, oh, she's going to be the security officer. She's the muscle. And she finally has to assert herself and say, I don't want to be the security officer. I don't want to beat people up. I want to do science. I'm good at science. And I love that. That's what a great lesson in appearances and making presumptions and assumptions about people. You've said a lot and, and kind of the, the directions I wanted to, to kind of go into here, the idea that to truly be understood beyond utility, utility, right? The alienation that exists between us makes us do a lot of math about each other when we see one another, when we encounter people, you know. I guess like one of the bits of notes that I had about Rock Talk was this this concept of asserting who you are to other people, right? Because people will decide a lot about what you are and it is about, you know, coming forward and and eventually gaining that courage to be able to say, right? Like Rock Talk's big but kind of had to meekly turn turn people's perceptions of her over time, right? And um yeah, it it, it again is 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 something that hasn't this isn't necessarily uncharted territory when it comes to Star Trek, but it's definitely done very very well in this again, these little 24 minute packages. Yeah. And, and in such a way that, that you empathize so much with her. Mm-hmm. And I, again, this is another character where, you know, maybe it doesn't match our lived experience exactly, but you mm-hmm. see shades of yourself in her and those times where you've been misunderstood or there's been assumptions made of, about you because mm-hmm. of certain things and the need to self-actualize and push back against those. And yeah. uh, I, I think she's incredible. And <laughs> Riley Alizaraki just does such an amazing job voicing this character. Mm-hmm. I love that they actually, like, they got an actual kid to voice her. Uh, it's perfect. Well, you can't have Rock Talk without her little <laughs> blue and purple blob, Murph. Murph. <laughs> voiced by d bradley baker what can we say about murph i love this little blob of course an immediate fan favorite as well uh, murph plushies just i think that was the first thing that i saw that was uh kind of marketed from star trek prodigy i've seen a lot of them and of course now partway through the season they they completely change his character and make him into a little toddler thing, um, <laughs> which I was initially skeptical of. I was like, I don't know, this cute little blob, you're changing him, but I still love Murph and he's now the security officer. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I think that the initial just sort of immediate love for Murph, sort of the extremely constantly... I mean, if I was basically indestructible, I would also be pretty positive all the time, too, I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? I mean, why not? I don't know. Again, the the show changes a lot. Like, a lot a lot happens. You're right. It does feel more like the, the break in between should be between seasons rather than just a break in a season, right? And and maybe there is, like, a little bit of... of they could have done that a little more slowly, but I don't know. They could have done a lot with... Like I, I think about I think about when Murph goes into into the cocoon. I think that was like kind of midway through the second half or so. Yeah. Give or take, you know, it's not like it I guess it's not like it's immediate that 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 Murph goes through the change. Like we are given a bit there, but maybe they could have done it in like the next season or something like that if I was to give any kind of criticism. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it, it did when you watch them back to back it does seem pretty quick for sure. I appreciate the change. I think we're going to continue to see him change, I'm assuming, over yeah. the course of the series. Like I said, he seems very toddlerish right now, mm-hmm. so I'm assuming there's going to be a further kind of growth there, I guess. <laughs> I get Groot vibes vibes a little bit yeah. from Murph. Oh, for sure. Yeah, a little bit. The one moment that is just, I react the exact same way the rest of the characters react mm-hmm. is when they go on the holodeck and yeah. <laughs> he starts crooning or at least lip syncing to the... Yeah. That was so great. And yeah. <laughs> I am just like Jankum Pog going, what? <laughs> yeah. No, it, the, uh, again, you know, your your the usage of, of the kind of the comic relief, the kind of, you know, sort of takes the edge off of the, the tension a little bit mm-hmm. with Murph, which is always really good. And I think that's why there's a bunch of Murph, Murph plushies out there because, you know. You need a club, cut, cuddly, formless slime ball to, to just have with you sometimes, right? Definitely. Well, one character that we haven't talked about yet that I want to uh, kind of double back to, Jankum Pog, who I just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, Jason Mantzoukas. I mean, first of all, when I first heard about the casting of this character, just the fact that Jason Mantzoukas is going to be in the Star Trek universe had me so thrilled. Um, for those of you who don't know some of his other characters, if you've watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine, he yeah. has a very memorable recurring character that comes back every once in a while on there. And uh, The Good Place as well is another <laughs> great Jason Manzukas role in there. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, if you go just by his character, he's nuts. The man is insane. And <laughs> I, 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 I've kind of purposefully not, watched any interviews with him or anything outside of seeing his characters and quite honestly Jenkin Pog is like the most normal level-headed character I've ever seen him play he's so great in this role as well this is another one that he definitely isn't the character that I kind of latch onto the most but there are certain moments where you very much empathize with him and kind of get inside his head a little bit and he's also a character who there there's kind of hidden depths depths there where mm-hmm. you realize like his feelings have been hurt and he takes out that frustration on the holodeck kind of quietly not bothering other people but you know just kind of dealing with it himself and then all the way to the end of the season 
when hologram Janeway sacrifices herself by destroying the protostar, I'm, I'm surprised by the fact that in that moment, in all of their reactions, it's Jankums that gets to me the most, where he just quietly kind of goes, no. And I'm just, my heart breaks in that moment. And I'm like, wow. I, it's his youth there, right? Yeah. Oh, and, and his sensitivity, I guess, yeah. that that is usually masked by this gruff exterior. And it's so laid bare in that moment that I just, my heart absolutely yeah. breaks. Yeah, it was, it was a, Janeway's sacrifice is, is a toughie um, <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it's, it, it's a usual kind of thing, uh, big characters in Star Trek going, but um, yeah, I think Jankampog is, is a great, way to explore the Tellarites in in ways that we haven't really had much since Enterprise really mm-hmm. um I like I like those pieces I love the fact that he's not the only Tellarite um we get Jason Alexander as well who shows <laughs> yep. up and and I think who could like very well cast yeah <laughs> I, I didn't see it coming and it was a joy to be like wait I know that voice, <laughs> you know, both are very, um, I would say that Jason, uh, Mansukas and Jason Alexander have that kind of similar kind of high pitched rasp to their mm-hmm. kind of talk, you know? Um, and it really does kind of help us build out the Tellarites a lot more as well. Um, I think the fact that he is, I, he's not like the youngest, youngest, I guess I, I rock, uh, rock tack would technically be younger, but, I would say, like, in terms of emotional growth, he's probably the youngest. W- would mm. that be fair to say? I think that makes sense, yeah. There's there's a gruffness to him, but there, there's definitely a, an immaturity at times. Well, that's, what's, that's what it's masked by, I would say. Yeah. Right? Anyways, yeah, he's. Um, it is a bit of a departure um, for Jason Manzoukas as well. He definitely plays a much more, yeah, like you say, gruff um, ready to ready to stand his ground on, on certain pieces, or at least, like, offer alternatives and and even if it does kind of make him seem a little bit abrasive or something like that um it's definitely outside of what jason manzoukas usually plays and that's good to see well the the subject of of his sadness in that Mm -hmm. episode i guess we should talk a bit about as well which is of course hologram janeway Mm -hmm. um kate mulgrew of course returning to the role again when the show first came out we were like she's returning as janeway sort of but it's hologram Janeway. It's this, you know, hologram. And then of course we get the surprise later in the season, actual Admiral Janeway showing up. Mm -hmm. But I, I love that we have both, like I said, hologram Janeway and real Janeway in the show, but they're so distinct from one another. Very. Yeah. 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 They do an excellent job with that. And I kind of compared hologram Janeway to the sort of tutorial character that kind of accompanies you in like, stage one of a new video game kind of thing. (laughs) Very much. And in that way, you can kind of think of season one as that. This is stage one of this game and Hologram Janeway is there as a tutorial to say what a class M planet is, to say what a distress call is, to tell us how the prime directive works and all this Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. And now the kids kind of are off without a net. They'll have the real Janeway, but they won't have somebody kind of holding their hands through everything. And I, I just, I loved her relationship with everybody and how she kind of, she was never in command. She never told them what to do, but she no. always just kind of nudged them in the right direction and gave them that alternative when they found themselves 
in over their heads and, and making the wrong decisions, they could turn to her and say, okay, you were right. What should we do here? And I love that. I hate to do this, uh, but I do think that, that the writers definitely got a lot of very good inspiration from other fantastic fantasy and sci-fi genre stuff. Janeway is now, is now Star Trek Gandalf. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she very, I would say, brashly assumes a bunch of kids who have no identifying Starfleet features that they are suddenly <laughs> this, <laughs> this crew she's supposed to train um, and, and all that sort of stuff who, yeah, you're right. Never says we should do it, but they do those things, right? They, they, she teaches them in that kind of way. And ultimately, you know, I guess not like Gandalf in this sense, but when she is no longer needed, when you're right, the tutorial is over, she is no longer relevant and goes and, and sacrifices herself in, in a, in a very honorable way that I think, you know, almost shows again that the holodeck, the hologram was inspired, you know, to, to do that sort of thing. I get, I get a doctor vibe from her to some degree as well. Right. Mm, yeah. Um, and then with the whole Gandalf idea, here's, here's Gandalf returning, but different. Right. It's not the yeah. same, but it is ultimately Janeway, like you said, whose whose um, testimony basically saves the day for 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 the crew of the Protostar. Right. Yeah. So Absolutely. she's she she's like a Gandalf character. I love that. I, I that's totally. Yeah. I never saw that, but I that makes sense. I love it. So I guess we could go on to maybe just blending straight into Admiral Janeway then, you know, I've kind of Gandalfed. Gandalf her. How would you note the differences that stand out most to you about hologram uh, Janeway versus Admiral Janeway? Well, there's there's definitely more, I think, uh, realism, more layers to Admiral Janeway. We get you know more of the um, more of the 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 personal stuff with Chakotay and that sort of thing, and uh, also. Very subtle, but I love the the very slight differences in the character models too. Not not just the hair or anything like that, but even the face. It's so subtle how they've aged Admiral Janeway just a little bit. I think they've just given her kind of a little bit more kind of fullness in her in her cheeks or something. I, it's it's hard to say exactly what the differences are, but right next to them. Hologram Janeway does look like kind of, you know, season one or two of Voyager Janeway mm -hmm. in, in that very subtle animation style. But yeah, I, I think Hologram Janeway was played really well, kind of in the same way that the early Doctor was in Voyager, uh, where, you know, there was some of those limitations and that kind of thing. There's still that Janeway spark to her, but it was, I don't know, there, there was, there was a little bit more, not two dimensionality to her, but there was, there was those little hints that she was not a, a flesh and blood person. Uh, whereas like Admiral Janeway, it just felt like picking up with her again after all these years, like she just stepped right back into that role and that was Janeway yeah. on our screens. I love that. There's a bit more of um, a seasoned tone mm -hmm. I found to Admiral Janeway's whole way of 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 speaking as well yeah there's a lot more uh i hate there's just i don't know kate mulgrew is a very dignified person to begin with i find mm -hmm. um and i just found the dignity um in admiral janeway's the way her voice carried was uh was quite 
was quite well well played and it is different from that a little more kind of encouraging kind of way she she took her tone with the with the hologram yeah kind of the i don't, I don't know if this will make sense but uh to to most of the people in the audience but like a a, an encouraging teacher tone versus the principal tone. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very much, uh, very much that much, very, very much that. Yeah. Um, how about, how about the diviner? Yeah. Okay. This was another one that when I heard John Noble was going mm-hmm. to be in Star Trek, I was, I was giddy. That was so yeah. much fun at first very mustache twirly villain right yeah very kind of like oh this is but again by the end of the season uh, a kind of more roundness to him not a redemption i mean this is a guy who enslaved you know scads of people and you know used another being to to break the minds of other people and you know not not redeemed by any stretch but very much on a different arc and hints of this this is where i'm getting excited about season two because hints that if things had been done differently if things had played out differently he would have been a different person he wouldn't have done those things you know he's a he's a real determinist too right when Mm. you get the big reveal that he's from the future you're almost like couldn't your experience have changed your perspective and i think that's why he doesn't have that redemption right yeah that makes sense and the other thing i like about him is like obviously his daughter is kind of the the linchpin to his behavior or will end up being that linchpin Mm -hmm. and that's something that essentia who will get to sees and Mm -hmm. tries to mitigate and in her mind, that would be a weakness, you know, that would be his weakness, but it's actually what will, you know, a la Darth Vader bring him to the light side. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I'm just looking at um, trying to find a specific, like the div- a diviner, um, you know, divination soothsayer, right? Mm. Um, prophet um, are different, different ways of, of, of defining that, that word. Um, and how his character comes through. I, I find him to be an interesting, very flamboyant bad guy, I guess, uh, maybe a best way to put it. And I think he only works because of Dreadnought, I think, in a lot of ways. Mm. They, they kind of need each other to play off one another. There's There's that sort of deadpan, very monotone you know soft-spoken dreadnought and then there's the diviner right um and kind of the way the 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 two bad guys you know henchmen and 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 lord kind of or or not henchmen and lord but like you know they're the guy in charge versus the guy who works for him and is kind of that unstoppable dogged force coming after you kind of thing that does you know kind of roll through the whole thing i find the diviner he tries to get in the mind of his daughter a lot too or I mean, even even Dahl too, right? Like when he when he gives him that ultimatum, right? Bring, you know, come back with the protostar, and, and maybe we'll talk, kind of thing. I think that he really he really tries to work on the people he's after. He isn't just some pursuing bad guy. He he he. You do try to kind of be like, can I see your point? But no, ultimately, yeah. um, would that be fair in saying? Do you think? I think so. Yeah, he's 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 not a Doctor Claw figure, even though that's how you kind of initially think he is but there is definitely more to him than that and his his 
single-minded pursuit of the protostar for the first half of the season you you feel like it's it's this that's the prize he just wants that and you don't kind of yeah. know the backstory and yeah like you say he's more manipulative than just that he's he's a student of psychology like he does yeah. try to get in your head absolutely also just the fact that we got to hear john noble as like the the not the bartender version of him because it's a kid's show, but the uh, the barista version of him in the, the nightclub. Uh, that yeah. was fun. I love that yeah. we got to hear him kind of be something else a little bit there. <laughs> There's a, there is a certain tongue-in-cheek to all of this as well that I think it is a bit where the adults might get the humor and not the kids. Is that fair? I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. I think yeah. that that seems to be a, an integral part of a lot of media like this is yeah. yeah, that kind of, I appreciate that for sure. Well, very quickly, we also do have the, the crew of the dauntless, the chief medical officer, Noom played by Jason Alexander. We kind of yeah. mentioned, uh, I also want to talk a little bit about commander Tysus, David Diggs. Mm. There's such like, we talked about like the regalness of Janeway's voice. Yeah. This guy sounds like Andorian royalty when he speaks. I love <laughs> yeah. his voice. Uh, he would also make a killer Vulcan too. I think just with that, yeah. that, that way he has of, of speaking. The inflection, the, the, yeah. 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 I liked, I liked the, I, I did enjoy the, the arrival of the Dauntless crew. Um, they've got that, they've got that gel that I think the protostar, you know, kind of, kind of aspires to in some ways, mm. but also you get the relationships outside of that as well, right? Like they're, they're again, not a, not a perfect group of people who do perfect things all the time as well. And I think that's a, a good thing for the protostar crew to kind of bounce off of in, 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 if I was to really just kind of tumble into, into that kind of, um, again, <clears throat> whole other aspect of this series that you know, is, is a lot broader than even I'm kind of thinking of as I'm looking back at all of this. Cause I didn't take a lot of notes. I watched this in a big chunk and now I'm kind of being like, wow, it's amazing how much you do actually, um, ingest when it comes to information with this, uh, with this series, but it's not outside of, I find there was a lot in the first season of Star Trek discovery, which unfortunately did kind of leave me feeling a little bit for lack of a better term. It was a little jarring. Whereas in this, it's not as jarring, but when you look back, you are kind of like, oh, wow, we've really covered a lot of ground here. Haven't we? Mm hmm. Absolutely. And uh, of course, another crew member we get introduced to early on, Ensign Asensia, the, the mm -hmm. meek, young Trill Ensign, uh, who of course, spoiler alert, turns out to be the Vindicator. The Vindicator. Yes. Another Vaughn Akat who also has come back in time and managed to worm her way into Starfleet uh, as a mole here. Uh, that was fun. I mean, Jamila Jamil, again, mm -hmm. another name that I'm like, Hey, Jamila Jamil's in a Star Trek series. That's <laughs> so exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, reuniting with Jason Manzukas from her time on The Good Place, I guess, too. Yeah, just an incredible job. And I I just have to say this because it's an American show and they they just they do this all the time. When she's, you know, nice, innocent, trill and senescencia, she's got the 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 kind of small mousy American accent voice, but as soon as she turns into the Vindicator, yeah. she's all British. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. What would you say is is the biggest kind of 
like was that was how surprising was that for you there there's a couple of oh oh snap moments right we find out later that doll is is an aug or not an augment but is um uh, you know like a, a mishmash an aug well yeah he's an augment right mm-hmm. we can just say that and or you know the idea that essentia is is the vindicator all that sort of stuff were these surprises for you or did you kind of see them coming well, this is another one of those things that this show does brilliantly in that they were surprises, but they were so well set up that mm-hmm. you were kind of thrown off a little bit and you kind of feel like something's up before mm-hmm. both of those reveals. Yeah. And and there's so many brilliant things this show does in that regard. With Essentia, it was some of the questions she was asking Gwendala on the planet and then some of the ways she was interacting with the diviner like why mm. is she leaning in so hard why is she so interested in this mm-hmm. and you're kind of like oh I see okay yeah. that makes sense and with Dao I think there is oh, so brilliant this was something that I mentioned very early in the show and it was in the first episode with mm-hmm. the the mix up with cat boots versus cahoots. Yeah. And I was like the only way that joke works is if he's speaking standard or English because the word for cahoots wouldn't sound like cat boots in another language, you know, there. So I was like is he originally from somewhere in the Federation? Like, is that where we're going to find out? Because there's this mystery around what he is, you know, mm-hmm. is he from the Federation? And then like in the last couple episodes, they confirm it in dialogue where Janeway says, oh good, you speak standard. He's yeah. been speaking English this whole time. And I, I love that. And I was like, it's like either they made like a really, they, they made that joke at the expense of realism because yeah. it was a funny joke and they wanted it in there or there's a reason for it. And these writers have done so many great things that I feel like there's a reason for it. And I'm wondering if he's speaking English and right there from day one, that was the case. And I love that. I did not catch that. That is <laughs> that is really cool. And well, there you go. So, I mean, I do want to watch this whole series again uh, with the kiddos in in my world here, and and to be able to get their impressions, right? Mm-hmm. As to who have really, other than the older one who's who's seen the first of the two thousand nine uh, JJ vs Star Treks. Um, outside of that, no context whatsoever. Um, so, I would be interested to see. You know, um, I, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily think they would they would pick up on that one either, because I do think you'd have to understand a lot there. And and, and I bet you that that was 100 percent on purpose. And now that I'm mm-hmm. now that you've said it, I probably won't be able to unsee it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Any time in the future watching this show when I have to think to myself, was that a slip up or is that intentional? I'm going to be erring way on the side of that was intentional. I was meant to notice that there's a reason because yeah, yeah, these writers have have shown they're, they're putting so much thought into this. I love it. Well, I'm going to suggest how about we pause our discussion there. Uh, We will come back for part two of this discussion in a couple weeks, because I, I think we got deep into the discussion of the characters of the show, which I love. But as you said, uh, kind of off, off, uh, Mike here, there's so much more to discuss with this show and I definitely don't want to give it short shrift. So yeah. how do you, how would you feel about part two? 
I think that might be a good idea because I haven't even touched recurring character or characters from, you know, historical series. I want to talk about splicing in dialogue. Um, I wasn't expecting Rene Aubergenois to have a cameo considering he hasn't (laughs) been with us for a number of years. Um, And for a minute, I was trying to figure out what they were doing with that and how they managed that. And yeah, we, you and I had an again and off mic conversation about artificial intelligence and, you know, how they were able to pull pull that together. Um, You've talked about the changing nature of the show and I want to talk more about that how how it is kind of like a number of different smaller vignette series in a much larger series mm. um, though not episodic either right like everything is still kind of connected but you know I, I feel like you could watch this show you know just some favorite episodes too and not necessarily feel like you have to watch the rest it's kind of how I work with the Dominion arc is I yeah. pick I'm very, very a la carte when it comes to the the Star Trek I watch. And so I think about that, like Discovery season two is great, but when I start watching it, I have to watch it all the way through. Right. It, it, otherwise, yeah. it, it's if you just pick an episode, it is kind of like, oh, well, I got to watch the next one and the next one. Do you think Star Trek Prodigy could be a one episode, two episode, pick the one you like and watch it? Or do you think this is a full series one? And a quick answer now, and maybe something we could talk about more as we get into this, because is Star Trek going to go episodic like Strange New Worlds? Um, is it going to be more um, story-driven like Discovery? Can we have our cake and eat it too? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really interesting question, and I've actually got a little story to go along with that as well, because I have a friend who hadn't seen any of Prodigy yet, and I thought, oh, I'll show him an episode just to show what this show can be. Mm-hmm. And I decided to show him the one that you were referencing with the various character voices, just because I knew he'd get a little bit of a thrill out of that. Mm-hmm. Now in that episode, they also like talk about using the proto warp for the first time and getting away from the diviner. And I, there were so many times in that episode, I kind of had to go, ah, that was, that's something, well, that's a different, well, okay, that's going on. And I forgot how non-standalone it was. So I don't know. I feel like there are episodes that I want to return to, but there are surprising ways that those episodes connect to other episodes that you kind of forget about. Another big one is the one that shows everybody's backstories, which you think is going to be a fun little lark. But then by the end of that episode, (laughs) the entire premise of the show has changed again. So chomp a bite has been taken out of you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, let's see. That's exciting. I I have a lot to say about uh, a lot more to do with prodigy. So Let's uh, leave it there for now and return to this uh, in our next flagship episode. But until then, Barry, uh, how can people connect with you if they choose to do so? Well, like I've like I've said, I'm I'm not really social media present, and and it is a mental health thing for me. Um, social media has been a a frustrator in my life for a number of years. So I am very intermittently on Facebook with at Barry DeFord. You can definitely find me there. Uh, outside of that, with the disappearance of of any interest at all in Twitter, um, you won't really find me anywhere else. I don't have Insta. I don't. I've, I haven't managed to get onto Mastodon. Though though I know the positive positively check crowd are fun i am a ghost on there and float around and watch some conversations and stuff and i should hit like more so you guys know i'm there um <laughs> no but, worries uh, <laughs> but honestly the best place to find me right now is on this podcast i'm um, talking about star trek with my buddy dan excellent well you can find this podcast uh, also on facebook as we said the positively trek discussion group uh join that um i lurk there i read everything i occasionally comment 
and that sort of thing. Also, the podcast is on Mastodon at PositivelyTrek at masthead.social in those lovely convoluted ways that Mastodon does usernames. Uh, and you can also just email us, you know, last millennium technology, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. I'm on YouTube, youtube.com slash Productions. And uh, I'm still on Twitter at Kurtrats and at Positively Trek, but definitely not active there at all. Uh, you can find links to other social media on Twitter as long as the overlords allow that to be, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. It's, uh, it's a hellscape of uh, disgusting grossness. So I don't know. <laughs> it's fun out there. Keep, keep your head up, be safe, and stay positive. <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.